0: if we don't want to talk about death then we certainly don't want to talk about grappling with the death and loss that we experience in life grief is a very important part of our lives yet something that we find very uncomfortable ourselves and society certainly feels very uncomfortable with it that grief is something people would just hope that you would get over very quickly to be able to move on with life and Problem with that is a lot of people don't even know what to do when confronted with grief, and far too many try to avoid it and turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms that uh, lead to far more disastrous consequences. And if it's bad enough, it's made worse often by uh, well-meaning people, if they're even well-meaning, who will often say unimaginably terrible things to people who are grieving because they don't know what to say or do, and it's very distressing, and among Christians, there are some who want to take 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 uh, beyond its intended purpose to bludgeon those already dealing with challenges of grief. Grief is something that, if we're not going to cause it first, is something that we're definitely going to experience in life, and so we do well to consider what grief is, what the scriptures say about it, and what we shall we do. So when we talk about grief, what are we talking about? Uh, A good modern definition is a multifaceted response to loss, particularly to the loss of someone or something to which a bond was formed. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, grief is a process by which a person returns to some level of equilibrium after experiencing a loss. We normally talk about this in terms of death, that when a person dies, there's a period of grief for those who love that person and for whom that person was an important part of their lives. And especially if that person was a spouse, a parent, or a child, the one who has survived must now work to establish some kind of new normal that honors the memory of the deceased, uh, but will allow for continued uh, thriving and functioning in life. The work that is done to establish that new normal is grief and the grieving process. But it's not limited to death, because it's also necessary for other aspects of life. Because whenever we suffer some kind of loss, Maybe it's a loss of employment. Maybe it's a move. Maybe we've changed a congregation or we've had some relationships uh, pass on um, or become stagnant or have not become what we thought they might be. Uh, as uh, children grow up, we can often feel a sense of grief for the sense of loss of the stages that have gone by. And that's not just for children. It's also for ourselves. Uh, that we also have a sense of grief for a series of transitions for new phases of life as past parts of our lives are over we can look at it in terms of life as a series of little deaths and having to grapple with and grieve over those little deaths so that we can continue uh to persevere and to endure again no one wants to necessarily look at life that way it seems rather depressing however if you think about all the various changes that you've gone through in life. You can understand where that framework might come in and that it might actually prove helpful at times. Now, what grief is and the experience of grief, as said, is multifaceted and it's dependent on a number of factors. And it's very hard to discuss grief with any kind of specificity because it means very different things for different people at different stages of life and also depending on the kind of relationships a person has had and is having. The intensity of grief is dependent on a lot of factors, how close one was to the source of loss, the phase of life that you're in when you're grieving, uh, other stresses in life, your general temperament, how well you've been able to manage stressors in other situations. And one of the most pernicious things is that we have in our minds some kind of uh, perspective on what it looks like for somebody to be grieving. And we will often judge people if they are not uh, hewing close to that particular illustration. But the problem is, is that grief looks different for every person and even for every circumstance. Because sometimes people grieve by crying profusely. Others will not cry at all. Some people will turn inward. Others will turn outward. Some people will get angry. Others may become more pliant. Some will retreat from their responsibilities. Others will throw themselves even more into them. And it's very important for us to recognize that there is no one way to grieve that's been laid out for us, that if we aren't following, we are somehow proving disobedient or not honoring the memory of the one that we're grieving or what we're grieving. Uh, And it's a terrible thing that people are burdened with expectations. Well, this is what it looks like to grieve. Because as long as grief is being managed and that there is a working-through process that will ultimately end up in healthy and positive ways, uh, there's no need to really feel burdened that you're grieving uh, the wrong way. Uh, Now, if the way that you are particularly grieving uh, leads you to commit various sins, that may be a a different situation. Uh, But it's because of the coping mechanisms being unhealthy and ultimately destructive towards you and that is why it is good to have a support network of people who can help support you in these times there's a lot of instances of grief in the bible because there are a lot of times where people have reasons to grieve so in genesis chapter 37 verse 34 when jose jacob's sons come and tell him that his son joseph is dead now we know and they even know that he's not actually dead but he is uh presented as dead and Jacob believes them and we see him tear his clothing and wear sackcloth and he mourns many days and he refuses to be comforted uh in that situation to wear sackcloth and to pour ashes on one's head and to tear one's garments are all uh standard mourning rituals in the ancient world uh years later when he is informed of Joseph's life and stature he is numb initially. Hard to take that in. But then his spirit revives, we were told, in Genesis 45, verses 26 through 28. So we can only imagine the burden that he had been uh, managing for all those years. In chapter 50 and verse 1 of Genesis, we see Joseph mourning for Jacob. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter 1, we see David lamenting and grieving for Saul and Jonathan. Um, even though there was no love lost between David and Saul, certainly did not want him to meet his end that way. In verse, 2 Samuel 12, 15-18, we're told that the child of adultery between David and Bathsheba is struck ill, and that David mourns and laments while the child is ill. But after the child is declared as died, in verse 19, he goes and washes himself. He goes to uh, the tabernacle. He had mourned because he had hoped that Yahweh maybe would spare the life of his child, but since the life the child had passed on, he has gone and continued on. We're told that he comfort himself in Bathsheba, who would have another son, Solomon, and the Solomon, of course, would have a very different future in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. In John chapter 11, we have Jesus uh, mourning for Lazarus. And it's an interesting question there in verse 17 through 35 that uh, Jesus weeps. Uh, but why is he weeping? Because he knows that what's about to happen, in fact, all of this has happened so that. God can be glorified and that uh, Lazarus can be raised from the dead. Well, in John 11, verse 33, he sees the grief of Mary and Martha. And since he is very close to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, John certainly alludes to that, that there is a significant relationship there, that Jesus is struck with mourning because they are mourning. And this definitely gives us a very powerful uh, description and embodiment of that idea of weeping with those who weep. That is exactly what Jesus is doing there. And, of course, in Isaiah 53, and verse 3, he would be acquainted with grief. Uh, there's plenty of reason for that in this world. When Jesus died, the women of Jerusalem were mourning in Luke twenty-three twenty-seven, 27 uh, People watching the crucifixion were mourning what they were seeing in verse 48. And then, of course, John 20, verse 11, Mary Magdalene has come in her mourning and grieving for Jesus on the morning where he is actually raised from the dead. And so grieving in all of these circumstances, we've seen it in both Testaments, uh, is part of life for the people in the Bible, for the people of God. And there's no condemnation for it. Which brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, where Paul is making this exhortation to the Thessalonian Christians that they would not grieve as those who have no hope. Now, uh, this verse has been taken Uh, that to mean that there should not be any grieving going on, that, in fact, grieving is somehow impious because um, somehow not meaning that we don't have enough trust in God. Um, When we look at the context, Paul is writing to Thessalonians about the fellow Christians who have died. And, I mean, there's ways you can read this, right? And it all depends on what you're emphasizing. Uh, The people who would want to make this a condemnation of grieving would say, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. But you can also emphasize it very differently. Now, we don't want, want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. And so the question, is the emphasis on the idea that they're not supposed to grieve? Or is the emphasis on that they're not supposed to grieve like those who have no hope? Um. Well, we see that uh, when Epaphroditus is very sick in the letter to the Philippians, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he uh, he's very... Very distressed. Um, but uh, God was merciful to him that the papyrus did not die of his illness. And Paul said that he would not have grief on top of grief uh, if that happened. So Paul, in fact, seemed to be a hypocrite if, in fact, he were trying to say you should not grieve at all. Uh, and that's not the right way to read him. And it's very unfortunate that so many have grabbed hold of this particular interpretation and have used it uh, in very harmful ways. Because to tell somebody to not grieve is like telling somebody not to love. It It's in fact contrary to what is necessary for healthy functioning in life. Uh, what Paul doesn't want them to do is to grieve like those who have no hope, i.e. like the Gentiles in the world for whom there is no hope of resurrection. That the grief that the Christians are experiencing for the loss of their fellow Christians— is to be uh, tempered by, uh, to be assuaged by, to some degree, to be made uh, less painful in some way by the confidence that they will share in the resurrection of life, and that's exactly what Paul's trying to encourage them. They're not hopelessly lost. The Christ- Thessalonian Christians were very concerned. Well, if they've died before Jesus returned, are they going to be able to rise from the dead? I mean, they're not here to be transformed and raised from the dead. And Paul wanted to assure them they will in fact rise first. Uh, they will actually share in life and you know a little bit before we will if we are still alive, and so that's what Paul is really getting at here, and th- that there's a comfort that we have when someone who we uh, have shared uh the walk with jesus uh has has passed on that they will are resting in Jesus and will obtain the resurrection of life, and that is no little comfort in the grieving process in the equilibrium process trying to you know, come to grips with the new normal of whatever a life is going to be like without that person. And so the scriptures absolutely show that grief is part of life. It's natural, and it, it's going to need to be endured. So how should we handle grief as Christians? We need to remember grief is a natural reaction, because if you love, you will grieve when the object of love is lost. The Marvel show WandaVision had some pretty compelling material when it comes to grief and dealing with grief and vision statement to Wanda, that what is grief if not love persevering uh, is a pretty profound statement, pretty powerful one, because that's exactly what it is. Because to have grieved, it means that you have lost. To have lost means that you have loved. And it, we should not be ashamed of having love. We should not be ashamed for having to account for the hole that is in our lives. And we have to recognize that it's a pretty challenging situation because, you know, a lot of times we think of grieving, we think about somebody that we love, right? Somebody that we had a a powerful relationship with, somebody who was a very important influence in our lives for good. But there's also even grieving when someone has died who hurt you. Uh, If you did not have the best relationship with your parents or somebody else who was not the greatest person in your life uh they have passed on especially when it's somebody who should have been a lot better to you uh because what opens up again is the what was never there right well somebody has a horrible relationship with their mother their mother dies well there's maybe no reconciliation there oh, and or the realization of what all had what had never really been enjoyed and therefore what had really been lost between the two of them and so there's a lot of complicated things going on with the grief process but the more important thing we can say to somebody is that if if you have experienced a loss of somebody in your life, of various phases of your life, and whatever, it's something to work through. It's something to manage. There's this temptation to say, I, I can't have time for this. I'm just going to shove it off. I'm going to push it away. Pushing it away, pushing it off is not going to help because it's just going to sit there and fester and grow, and it's only going to become a bigger hurdle and challenge until uh you grapple with it Uh, nothing happens in life on our schedule everything that happens is going to be an intrusion or can be understood as an intrusion but sometimes those are reminders that we need to take stock and to maybe recalibrate what we think is so important because we need to manage ourselves when it comes to grief we need to take the time that is necessary to grieve and to grieve in the ways that feel intuitive and right for us that are not destructive to ourselves or others. Uh, We have that necessary caveat at the end because it is not healthy or good to turn to drugs or some other unhealthy coping mechanism to completely isolate, alienate yourself from everybody. There may be time where you need to take time away from other people and and take the time you need for yourself. Uh, On the other hand, You should not withdraw entirely from your fellow Christians because they are there to help you through this time to weep with those who weep. And if you withdraw yourself, you're not providing others the opportunity to sit with you in that circumstance. But we understand why someone would maybe not want to have others involved. But we look at the other side of the question. Well, how do we support and encourage those who grieve? And if there's anything that you take away from this message, it is when someone is grieving, let your words be feared. Because the more that you say, the more likely that something incredibly insensitive is going to be said. Because a lot of times you see somebody in grief and and who's lost and you you feel like you need to say something, right? And and that awkwardness is on you. And you feel like you need to say something or try to do something. And a lot of times there's something that you can do, but normally it's not going to be that first impulse of what comes out of your mouth. Uh, Job's friends. We generally don't use as a good example of anything. Uh, but the first thing they did was the right thing. If they had kept with the first thing, they would have been better off. In Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, where they saw him, they you know, cried out, they you know, did the sackcloth and ash thing, and they sat with him for seven days. No one said anything. Um, it is useful to express sorrow for the loss, to pray for God's comfort, to be with those who mourn. But really, your presence may mean more than anything else. Uh, In many circumstances, it may be appropriate to see what other burdens that can be taken at this time. Can meals be provided? Can someone come in and help do some cleaning or some chores or to provide some kind of uh, infrastructure support for that person to be able to take the time that they need uh, to grieve? And also to remember the person well after the grief precipitating events. A lot of time in our awkwardness, we don't want to uh, admit the existence of the person, uh, everybody or the person is grieving. Uh, but sometimes that's I mean, again you have to kind of listen and work with the person who is grieving and and understand that the grieving's not going to look the same at all times and there'll be better times and worse times there are ways to help support and encourage people through the grief process and a lot of times it is to cherish the the healthy and positive memories uh of those who have been lost and to help uh help that person normalize the new situation that the, the person is gone but the person has not been entirely forgotten. So yes, grief is absolutely a difficult thing to work through and to work with. Um, the more post, most important thing is that we need to be here for one another as Christians and to support one another as fellow Christians. As the preacher said, there's a time for laughing. There is a time for mourning in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 4. And if we haven't already experienced it, the longer we live, the more we love, the more likely we're going to experience times of grief. And so we need to be ready for the time when our loved ones will no longer be physically with us. We need to be ready to look at our own lives and to be okay with the changes of faith, changes in life and phases of life and to be able to well grieve what has uh, passed on. And that we need to actually endure the sorrow. We need to go through it and we can't try to avoid it so that we can find a new equilibrium to, to, to cultivate this new normal that has grappled with the loss of one that we have loved that we can move forward and that we can show true strength and encouragement for one another as uh, we have people going through the grieving process. And therefore, we do well to serve God in times of mirth and sadness to, in all things, set ourselves fully and are hopefully on the day where we will need to grieve no more. So glad that you've joined us. If you have any questions or comments about our conversation about grief, we'd love to hear about it. Please continue our conversation in the comments. I'm Ethan with the Venice Church of Christ. We are a non-denominational church of Christians. In Los Angeles, we'd love to be of some kind of service and encouragement to you. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Bible, have a correspondence course or Bible study. If you have a prayer request or you'd like to meet with us or anything else, please uh, reach out to us. We can find us online at venicechurchofchrist.org. You can also find us on a lot of social media platforms at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. May the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.